Welcome back, Serial Killers, to Saturday Morning Confidential. I have an unusual format for the show today because we have a fantastic guest and I am so excited for you all to meet him. It is friend of every pod, Dan Purcell. Dan, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you so much for having me. So, Dan, I approached you about coming on the show and I was like, hey, pick a nostalgic property. And what mm -hmm. was your response? Radio Disney. <laughs> it was. It was Radio <laughs> Disney. And I went, yeah. well, I'm getting a little away from Disney with the with the new show, but it did lead us to have the conversation of music as nostalgia. And yeah. uh, moreover, playlists, or from my day, burn CDs. <laughs> yeah. Yep, 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 yep. And so uh, what made you want to talk about Radio Disney, which again, it's going to lead into the nostalgia of certain music for you. I have this weird uh, sort of movie that plays in my head when I think of Radio Disney. Um, mm -hmm. Generally, when I associate like when I listened to Radio Disney or Radio Disney adjacent music that was like mm -hmm. on the channel, um, I'm thinking like, late 2000s um and it's me playing with like a koosh basketball in my bedroom blasting radio disney and listening yes. to like the jonas brothers yes. um and i'm playing with my brother playing koosh, ba koosh basketball dunk tournaments um that is the exact image that i have in my head when, when I when I said that I was like oh you can you can immediately associate it to a specific memory um, and it led me to think about uh, how uh, a lot of music from all different parts of our lives really sort of inform the formative mem memories uh, of our entire lifetime and it's why yeah. even some of like the things that we'll go back and listen to and be like this is kind of bad but I still like it because it's it, it's so informed by how I experienced the music and the idea of, yeah, really when it comes down to it, music is half the actual craft itself, but also then half what the audience brings to the table in terms of how they experience the music. And I think about that a lot as a songwriter and as a producer and all, and all that kind of stuff of like, how can I create the vessel for people to fill their... Uh, fill it with their experience and their their sort of uh, the way that they're living and, and, and fill it with memories, you know? Dan, that is so profound. That is so lovely. Uh, and you actually <laughs> sent me, <laughs> you sent me this great video right before we started recording about the idea of the power of the nostalgia of music. Yes. And in that video, the uh, creator was talking about how, you know, sometimes songs aren't good, but they're good to us because we have an emotional connection to them. Or yeah. a song is going to be even better after we kind of obsessed with it for a while and then left it. And when we come back to it, we realize right. it still slaps. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I think we're going to get more into that idea as we kind of talk through. But I'm sure everybody at home is listening and going, is this whole episode really going to be about nostalgic music? Isn't that like an entire podcast? And I said, absolutely. And Dan, <laughs> and Dan in his infinite wisdom said, how about we come up with a playlist of each of us? Yeah. Like 10 songs, which for me became 12 songs. Um, cause I, you know, have to be extra, um, that we're going to talk through today. And I'm really excited about us talking through our kind of nostalgia playlists that come from, those moments in time and mo moments in music with uh, upbringing um, yeah. 
that mean so much to us. So uh, how about we just kind of launch in and you start with the first song on your playlist. And oh yeah, for, for everyone at home, I'm going to be posting both Dan and my own playlist on uh, all of our social media so that you can listen through each of our songs. Because uh, yeah. Dan, you and I are from two different age groups. And so I think when I was looking through yours, I was like, oh, yeah, these are mine, from a, but from a different moment in time that aren't my teenage years as yeah. well. And so I think yeah, it'll yeah. be interesting to have that conversation. But I want to encourage everyone at home, make your own 10 to 12 song playlist of, of songs that really just worked for you uh, right. when you were younger and nostalgic and post them on our social media. I would like to hear what everybody else has to say. Uh, right. But Dan, let's jump in. What is number one on your first? What is your playlist called? Uh, a, little <laughs> thought, a little thought behind... Um, kind of the name and how you were curating this, if you had any kind of criteria as you were going through. Um, and then let's just jump in with your first song. So the picture of the playlist is a picture of me at senior prom <laughs> during the prom photos where it was like, and I don't know, I don't know like what people's like prom culture was like oh, yeah. uh, when they were kids in high school, but there was such an emphasis on the, on the uh, pre festivities for, for the actual dance mm -hmm. that the, I feel like the actual dance itself is less memorable because you don't have a lot of pictures from it. Yep. So, you know, everything's like focused on the pre and the post, yep. nothing about the actual dance itself. <laughs> um, but it is a picture of me in my senior prom tux. And the name of the playlist is called, I really think I peaked in high school. And it is a <laughs> reference to a song uh, by the artist, John Bellion, it is a lyric from his from his song uh, '80s Films, where uh -huh. um, the line is, um, "How does it feel to be you?" I said, "It's all right. I really think I peaked in high school." <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's kind of where where the name of the playlist came from. I'm like, and, and I thought it was just like a funny uh, wink wink title because. Of course, we didn't peak in high school, but also at the same not. time, maybe our music taste kind of did. Right. <laughs> um, so I kind of categorized and cataloged this in the order in which I experienced these songs from mm -hmm. a, like late middle school, freshman year of high school, all the way through to senior year of high school. Okay. Um, so first, the first song on the list is uh, the song Kiss by the artist Prince. Um, and the distinct memory that I have of this is driving in the car, or riding in the car, I should say, uh, in, in the back of the car. Uh, my mother's got the light FM radio on, and this song comes on, and it is the most modern-sounding song uh, on, on the face of the earth. I'm like, mm -hmm. this This sounds like it could be, exist in, like, 20, 2015, because yep. it's that, it feels that modern-sounding. Um but it was shocking to me that the album that it's from, Parade, was re it was released in 1986. And so wow. I think what grabs me about this song is that even though uh, I listened to it when I was a kid and that a lot of people probably listened to it when they were kids who were like 80s children and, and even 70s children um, listened to this song, uh, it still feels like so fresh and so available for today. Mm -hmm. And it's really indicative of how forward thinking Prince was in mm -hmm. his artistry. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know, it's just it, like everything about it just is really ear catching. And yeah. I think that's why, that's why I remember 
that memory specifically because it was going toe-to-toe with songs like Maroon 5, John mm-hmm. Mayer, mm-hmm. Avril Lavigne, all those kinds of like light FM, Van Rock kind of stuff and it's and it mm-hmm. sounded comparable to that kind of thing. So it was my first exposure to like real R&B, the artist Prince and all and all his repertoire. Um and that's kind of that was th- that's one of the first big one of the first big uh uh memories I have from like my middle school years in terms of listening to that song. That's awesome. Well, and Prince has always been kind of on the forefront of music in a way that like his stuff from, you know, 20 years ago is being sampled and referenced now by some of the most contemporary artists, or you have, you know, Janelle Monet re-recording prints. Totally. Um, and it's one of, you know, it's one of those things of when you're talking about the radio station, it's so interesting because it is, in many ways, we feel it's random. Um, right. Yeah. But it's an interesting curation of music that was super successful or even one hit wonders because you know the radio one this idea of one hit wonders which my list has several um (laughs) but it's you know the curation of a radio hour especially around commercials and things for years it's so interesting to be why they would play one song and then another and then another um now did you have the ability of was the internet in kind of a state when when you were um, younger that you could like then go turn around and find that song for yourself to listen to on your yeah. own online. Yes and no. Um, I don't think I wasn't necessarily into pop music in the mm-hmm. sense that it was like I was looking for it. I was more looking for like your Aerosmiths, your ACDCs, mm-hmm. your U2s, as we'll come to to see on this playlist, where because because that was sort of the music that was really gripping me. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I, uh, aged out and sort of garnered a little bit more of a deeper appreciation for pop music and a lot of the pop music that was on light radio, uh, at the time of when I was a kid, um, I realized that it was just, it, it was super formative in how I just sort of shaped my taste. Um, so it wasn't necessarily, I wasn't necessarily seeking it out. But uh, it eventually sought me out as I get got older, you know? <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Um, that's great. I love that. And I think, uh, you know, to launch into any... No, I don't know. I know you said you kind of tried to curate as you went through high school. I kind yeah. of wanted to go thematically through mine. So you have a little bit of an emotional journey as you're going through. Well, I awesome. relived an emotional journey of not, but I can't <laughs> think of a better way if you're going to put Prince on a, on a playlist than to open that playlist with uh, Prince. Um, yeah. Especially with a song like Kiss. Um, but that's awesome. Definitely. Now, now I'm going to say my, mine is, uh, so I'm going to preface my playlist with the fact that with the exception of occasionally in the car, I was not permitted to listen to non-Christian music for a long time. And so it was probably around 99, 2000 when I got into high school and my parents were like, ah, we can't super control him anymore. Um, (laughs) But that being said, I also like grew up with musical theater films and like, 70s oh definitely um yeah. like my dad loved the electric light orchestra we had all the records and we had a working record player when i was growing up because it was rad it wasn't yeah. cool to, it wasn't cool to have records anymore but like it was cool if you had them and like my mom had the whole beatles canon which i right. wouldn't appreciate until i was much older um 
but something I appreciated was the, uh, I had very close friends doing marching band and things with, and we would be on buses for hours. Mm-hmm. And, um, as technology grew, I had super nerdy friends who were like, Oh, I made you this burn playlist of stuff to listen to. I think you'd really mm-hmm. like it. <laughs> um, and this first song, because I love some pop trash. Like I just love pop trash and the late nineties <laughs> is so good for pop trash. So for me, yes. um, that I wanted to launch in with like a fun upbeat number that some people have that. Oh my God. I thought I made that song up. Um, yeah. Right. <laughs> response. And so the first one for me had to be Sela V by bewitched, which I believe they were a, a Scottish or Irish girl group. Um, yeah. which you can kind of tell listening to this song. And for me, it's the combination. Um, I growing up, I didn't have cable, so we had, like, antenna, and we got more, like, BBC old British programming on our PBS station than we got, Mm -hmm. like, new American programming. Mm -hmm. And so, for me, um, I always loved this focus of, like, world music, world sound, uh, world culture, and how it could affect an American pop market. And so, Mm -hmm. for them, there's this great classical Irish sound in this song. And that, for me was something that I just kind of dug into and it just was the best for the little tiny uh, recesses of my ADHD brain. Uh, <laughs> and I just loved the song. Now, Bewitched had a couple other songs. None of them were as popular as this one. And I'm sure if you're sitting at home going, what is he talking about? <laughs> if you hear this song, you will remember it. Um, yeah. Some people say, I fight like my dad. Um, and it's, it's, it's one of those that I think it pulls me into Uh, again, kind of talking about the memories of this time of the few friends I had that I really appreciated them, like us just having a ball on long marching band trips and, and this kind of connection of travel and having, uh, you know, it's the same feeling I felt when I moved to New York and I bought the largest capacity iPod possible and got my headphones and was just like, uh, determined to underscore my entire like existence in New York City, but it's the <laughs> idea of when you got that old that the power of having your Walkman with you and being able to like put a new CD into it and drown your family out, but have yeah. that music with the like traveling down the road was just really important. And this is one of those songs that just. Um, I'm going to use the, it's going to sound weird me saying it, but I hear the kids say it now. Um, this song slaps. I I will hold out to this day. I listen to it about once a week and I just, (laughs) I love it. It's so good. It's just, but it's also just like the best kind of pop trash that you can, you can find, especially from this era. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And it's so funny because there were so many different like international bands that came out of the woodwork in, in, in the, in the wake of the like one, two, three combo of Spice Girls, uh, Hanson, Backstreet Boys, and NSYNC, um, yeah. where they all kind of like congeal at the same time. And then everybody was like, oh, we got to put together a four or five piece outfit right now. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody, and the reason why I think a lot of international bands uh, uh, were able to do that is because a lot of that stuff started over in Europe. Oh, a lot God. of the, a lot of the Swedish uh, songwriters and producers were like, 
let's let's turn this into like a factory and i think mm-hmm. that's where a lot of the the mentality of the the pop industry comes from yes. uh recently and why it's kind of falling away now in the face of you can literally do it in your bedroom <laughs> yep. um but it, it, it is it is really cool to go back and see like and, and hear some of the stories about how they formed uh some of some of those groups and where and like where some of those people ended up because like there was like a there was like an Irish quartet boy band that that was uh that was popular apparently in the late nineties yep. early two thousands and two of the members went on and formed the script so like oh. they were still going yeah. and still doing different things and and, and actually found greater success uh, later down the road. That is that is it is very true. Well, and I heard something interesting that like. Boy bands for a time when they started trying to like mass produce them. This um, this is what Simon Cowell did before American Idol. Um, yeah, was this idea of um, uh, oh, it was this idea. I'm sorry, totally just mind hemorrhaged. Um, and I realized <laughs> we didn't have Craig, so I'm going to give us a little moment so I can cut this. It's all good, but. So it's this thing where they would take them to Sweden and they would like learn music and learn choreography and put them through these like boy band, yeah. girl band camps. Yep. Well, and you also had like 18s came out and like 18s yep. happened to be, re- I, the 18s happened to actually be related to ABBA, which helped them. Um, yeah. And honestly, you know, what's really interesting is K-pop is so popular right now. That's exactly um, what I was going to say. I was it's, like, it's, it's the same format. Genius. Well, so one of the earliest K-pop boy bands before it was called K-pop, he's the guy that pretty much founded the K-pop like camps. I don't know what to call them. The like industry camps. Yeah. Like training just, camps. Like, yeah, where they would find the kids on the street and they would be like kind of dopey looking or chubby or not super attractive and they would like put them through. They would go to school every day and then they would go do evenings at the K-pop schools. Mm-hmm. And they, all K-pop was in, initially inspired by the Westernism of it, was inspired by the um, the founder being in a boy band and loving Western boy bands and loving yeah. Western pop music. Now, yeah. I will say that K-pop has taken that and flipped it on its head for as toxic as you know, the, the kind of system of K-pop is, um, yeah. you know, all of those, there's artists are doing the exact same thing as you were talking about the other ones of their like, well, you know, we can start and then we'll leave. Um, right, right, right. Or we, you know, even seeing like S Club Seven, which was a rotating number of performers, and then the Pussycat Dolls, which yeah. is the exact same thing as like a teen-centered pop group. And you can, if you have one key singer, you can swap out the other ones, and it almost doesn't matter as long as everybody can keep up with with uh, like the harmonization. Um, and so it, it's so interesting looking at pop during this time because it really was a race to who could put out a group that was even remotely as popular as NSYNC and Backstreet Boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, and definitely s- and agree. And some, some got close. You know, 98 Degrees, O-Town got kind of close, but no one would have... I mean, but then even looking at that, like Justin Timberlake has been constantly successful since he decided to leave NSYNC. Um, mm-hmm. But I also think he has a masterful hold on 
his his voice, his instrument, what he wants to do, himself as a singer-songwriter. Also, that man has yeah. no right to be as good of an actor as he is. Um, <laughs> In sync will come up later, so I'm going to leave that now. Um, yeah. But, you know, it is, it's an interesting time to kind of look through that idea of the, the pop factories. And yeah. even now how, you know, we're getting One Direction was probably the most famous last, you know, Western-formed boy band that didn't necessarily work because the idea of what is successful and whether the performers need the radio or the um, need the record studios like they did before is mm-hmm. really being brought into question. And so, you know, we don't have this kind of idea of pop the way that we did before. So, you know, it's, it's wild to look at and think about and also wild to think that it's been 20 years since all of it. And it feels like yesterday, but it also feels like a hundred years ago. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> So Dan, what, I totally what's, agree. No, what's number two on your list? I'm actually going to do two and three. So that way we can Great. sort of like yeah, do two and three. Yeah. Think about these as like eras almost. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really do recall like the year 2009 through, through these two songs mm-hmm. um, or at least like early 2009 where it was like, or late 2008, early 2009, because um that's one of these songs came out around then. And then also I was just, I was turned on to this band around that time. Um, and the songs are very different, um, (laughs) from each other. Uh, there's the song magnificent by the band U2 from the album, no line on the horizon, which nobody really remembers, uh, except for maybe me because it came out, uh, around the time where I was like, really uh going hard in the paint for you two <laughs> and mm-hmm. then the song these walls by the progressive metal band dream theater from their album octavarium from released in 2005 and now one of my older cousins showed me the band dream theater because i had gotten into hard rock and like like i really loved the intense guitars but i also liked big vocals like what bono would what mm-hmm. bono does and so my cousin was like hey have you heard of dream theater and it took me a little bit to get to get acquired to them and, and sort of figure out and sort of realize like this was something that I liked. But mm-hmm. I love how heavy these guitars are combined with the really big sprawling operatic vocals that um, James Labrie, the vocalist of Dream Theater, delivers on every single song. And he like goes so hard. And these two, these two vocalists, Bono and James Labrie, were two of my biggest vocal inspirations um, growing up. And that's kind of where I got the idea of getting these really big, belty sort of performance mm-hmm. sounds uh, just from, from these two alone. And I think these, these two songs in particular show those vocals off and why I was drawn to them uh, so especially. That's awesome. Well, and just the the perform the performance aspect and the kind of musicality of of a group, I think, is just as important necessarily as like the songs themselves. Because mm-hmm. you know, we pay a lot of money to go see shows in concert, and there are some bands who understand the presentation aspect of their music as much as the sound of their music and yes. kind of the the dramatics of of how we experience. Um, music at home because you have bands like you too who are directly from the generation where you would have friends over you would put on a record and everybody would just shut up and listen to the record precisely and like record yeah. listening parties and so a lot of you too even their lesser known albums um 
are heavily inspired by that kind of idea. And while I'm not always the biggest U2 fan, it's why having Bono in um, Across the Universe made a shit ton of sense to me because yeah. he's inspired by that generation of music and a lot of U2 does that totally. same thing that like the Beatles did. U2 is one of those kind of groups that you want to sit down and kind of listen through the album, um, whether you're always the biggest fan or not. Um, yes. And so I think these two, and I'm a, I love Dream Theater. Um, <laughs> oh, really? I actually, okay. I, I love Dream Theater, and it sounds funny, but um, from doing Indoor Color Guard and uh, at the international kind of competitive level, Dream Theater is a very common group to have their music used because it is large. Um, it is symphonic metal in many ways, and the sound yeah. that they produce really leads to a choreographed movement piece where you've got rifles and sabers flying through the air and giant silks of flags and so that's how i found dream theater that's probably fascinating. just before you did and it's one of those things that like are there other bands like imogene heap i'd never heard of them or frau frau which is the same um singer um right and uh, you know it's just from those those moments of that is how i found them but yeah that's how i came to know dream theater and i love dream theater the octavarium is one of my favorite albums by them it is beautiful um, yeah just because also i think people hear metal and they think one thing when metal is again uh a a vast version of of any other form of music where you've got your multiple kinds of sounds within this overall umbrella of metal Mm-hmm. And so I think it's one that I, I also find dream theater very palatable for people that might not be your biggest metal fans. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's very palatable otherwise for, for um, your general listener. It definitely is. I think, I think more so than, yeah, than, mo- than most metal bands. I think you have your, you have your definitely like your big ones, like your Metallica's, your Megadeth's yep. and Pantera's and whatnot. Yep. But dream theater is, is very pal- palatable for people who are interested in, um, I guess maybe trying to tap into more musically interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. I almost think they're like the Jacob Collier of metal music <laughs> because okay. they have those crazy time signatures. They're all like Berkeley grads uh, that mm-hmm. got together and like be- and became a jam band. Um, so it, it's not like it's all kind of like weird and wonky stuff. And that was kind of like my first exposure to different time signatures yeah. being able to being able to understand and it was like kind of like around the time that I started uh started really trying to take beatboxing a little bit more seriously mm-hmm. I, I I was like a beatboxer as kind of like a a habit almost like as a tick um and I would drum along to like all these dream theater songs trying to get them down because I'm like oh that drum that drum thing is really cool I also started learning how to play guitar at that time so I was like oh I'm gonna learn how to do the John Petrucci riffs um but they're impossible to do (laughs) um so yeah it was definitely it's definitely like I don't want to I don't want to be like just to pigeonhole them but I think Mm -hmm. if somebody were if somebody is a Jacob Collier fan and is looking for something a little bit more heavy in that context dream theater would be almost like a perfect band for them to dive yeah. into that's amazing that's awesome um well and it's funny that we kind of transition this way so my second song is uh it's the only bit of musical theater on here and for anybody who knows me i'm a musical theater monster uh but this song in particular i remember playing on the radio for 
years. And so <laughs> I I have put the movie version on my playlist because it is uh, edited better than the original Broadway version. But Seasons oh, of Love from yeah. Rent is mm-hmm. my second song. And it's so this is when musical theater in America was doing really, really bad, like really bad. The nineties were a terrible time right. for American musical theater. Um, it was when Disney was disney and cleaning up Broadway and cleaning up yes. New York yep. Times Square. Um, and so, but seasons of love when it moved or when rent moved to Broadway after the death of Jonathan Larson, mm-hmm. um, they recorded on the double cast album. It's a very long, uh, very long musical. They recorded the pinnacle song uh, that opens act two seasons of love with Stevie wonder. And that version was all over the, like, it was all over the radio station. It was like huh. that song that they played every 15 or 20 minutes because it was so popular. Yeah. And it was from a piece of musical theater. And for me, it was returning to those moments of, you know, every MGM musical had a pop number that would be sold as a record and would, would be the pop single. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they tried to do the same thing when the movie came out. It didn't do as well, obviously, because there's a big difference between 1996 America and 2006 America. Um, 100%. But I, this song, I also think the song sums up contemporary musical theater in a way that it evolved. Jonathan Larson had kind of tapped into the sound. And while I will preface, yeah. I'm not actually a huge Rent fan. Um, right. But it was one of the earliest musicals that I remember that I listened to. There was cursing in it. It was, you know, it's sexual. <laughs> it's about AIDS. You know, it's based on opera. Yeah. Um, and so it just kind of moved me in a way that like that song, like it's one of those where if you hear the very first chord, you know what the song is. And so <laughs> it for years like sat in my psyche and I thought I was crazy until the movie came out and the movie. The movie trailer opens with that first chord, and I went, I know this song. And so, mm. um, but this was a huge song for me in middle high school. I had a friend yeah. who got me a gift one year and knew that we liked theater, and but, you know, couldn't find Annie or anything, so his mom found the two-tape <laughs> set of Rent <laughs> in, like, seventh grade. <laughs> That's what I got for my birthday that year. Uh, that was something um but this one i think the song is beautiful i think it's insanely uplifting there's a reason why anytime you need an emotional moving musical theater giant number with everyone this is the song that people pick um i think i think it's just beautiful i i happen to love the movie of rent i think they did a lot of things right um some cleaner voices so that's why i picked this recording but i i just think it's beautiful i think it's moving i i love anytime you've got somebody that can just tear up that fucking scenes of love solo um it's very short and sweet it's why i love the song it's why i put it on here um i find it inspirational but i found it particularly inspirational before i was really doing theater as an art form or as a career so yeah, that's why I picked. It is definitely, it's definitely like the entry point for a lot, a lot of musical theater. A kids. lot of people. Oh, and then kids that were just a little bit younger, Wicked became that entry point. So it's like, why, yep. you know, if I if I were yep. your age, I would probably have to find Gravity on here. Um, Though that's very true of, yep. of Seasons of Love, but and I did that have to and find... like, I want to say also a lot of Next to Normal and anything like oh. Jason Robert Brown kind of related. Uh, I feel Jason like Robert, like, yeah. 
Yeah. And what's so funny is that like my career in New York also, like I worked next to normal. I always wanted to do Jason Robert Brown. And so I ended up working on a Jason Robert Brown piece called 13 and like, Oh, nice. Oh yeah. I've got stories, but, um, (laughs) you know, yeah, it's those, it's the, it's your, it's your pop version of your entryway into musical theater as an art form and, and as a thing. And now I would argue it's Hamilton. Like it's everybody's cool because they listen to Hamilton now. I just get grumbled because I was like, where was this when I was getting pants? Cause I liked rent and nobody knew what it was. Yeah. Assholes. (laughs) Honestly, that's it's it's a bop. I'll listen to it if I feel sad and need a need an uplifting or I want to scrout a little. Rent's also just good because you can just like put it on in your car and just sing your face off whether you can sing or not, and it's just fun. It's a good time. But you right, know, that's honestly that's all I've really got to say about that one. And so you gave us uh, your two and three. So what's your number four? You can do your three if you also want to. No, so I'm going to do my three and four together because they oh, fit together. Yep, so I, you I do see your that four, makes sense. I'll, I'll do my three and four together. Okay, so my number four is uh, <laughs> what every kid my age listened to or whatever, whatever like sad boy uh, who was trying to play guitar listened to uh, in my age uh, bracket. Uh, John Mayer. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I chose a more obscure song from his 2009 album, Battle Studies, because I was hooked on that album. Everybody says that like Continuum was the album that got them hooked on John Mayer. Mm-hmm. I got hooked by Battle Studies because I was, I had heard Waiting on the World Change on the radio alongside Kiss by Prince. Uh, mm-hmm. But it didn't really hit until uh, I started like, getting into high school, meeting kids uh, who were far more exceptionally skilled at music than I was because I went to a very uh, an interesting high school where you essentially have to choose a major. Um, yep. It's a public magnet high school um, yep. where you focus on a trade in addition to regular high school classes. So uh, I would hang out a lot with art kids because I was a visual arts major. So I hung out with mm. theater kids. I hung out with music, music kids. I hung out with art kids. Um, and one of my friends w- and one of my co-writers actually now on, on the EP that is currently in the process of rolling out, mm. um, he is an exceptional guitarist. Um, and he and I would talk shop about John Mayer all the time. In addition to like dream theater and all that kind of stuff, uh, we would talk shop about John Mayer and, and sort of like the emotions that he would evoke through uh, his guitar playing. And I think mm-hmm. Battle Studies in particular shows a lot of that uh, on display, maybe even on the same level as Continuum. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the song in particular that I picked, Edge of Desire, is a really, really well-written song. Um, one that you can, it's like a gem that you can go back to because nobody really likes battle studies. Everybody says that mm-hmm. battle studies is kind of just like continuum light, uh, and heavier things light and all those kind of like, mm-hmm. he's trying to do what he did on his old albums, but it's not really working very well. But I find that there's a lot of things working really well on this album and edge of desire mm-hmm. is one of them. If you just go and you listen to the song and you listen to like some of the lyrical turns on there, like, um, in the chorus, or no, it was in the verse, where he goes, uh, wired and I'm tired, think I'll sleep in my clothes on the floor, or maybe this mattress will spin on its axis and find me on yours. Who thinks of that? Mm-hmm. Who thinks of that? 
so it's just like it's really beautiful lyricism and uh i highly recommend just taking a look at to those middle albums by john mayer again and reevaluating mm-hmm. them because i i really learned to grow and i've grown to appreciate them a lot a lot lot more i i think it's also an example of how the studio system tends to put a ton of money and effort and marketing into the early albums of an artist and once they're like third album starts to come out they kind of drop their support of them where they still make their album they still put their album out but like i don't remember this album being pushed as hard as continuum was right and like continuum was in songs from continuum were in every top 10 movie that came out that year they were oh all God. over the radio yeah. they were, like they were everywhere they pushed continuum hard so it's not shocking to me that most people Connected with John Mayer out of Continuum. Um, and I think it thing. gets drowned out by that that song, Say. The say yeah. what you need to say um, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, and I feel like once that song came out, everybody was kind of like, oh, he's just the guy that does the little ballady things where it's like, do-do-do, mm-hmm. this, this, this is this thing that you sing all the time, blah-da-blah. Um, mm-hmm. And people really like disregarded him as kind of what he is in terms of like this fusion of like blues and pop and rock. Um, yeah. Especially now that he's like touring with the Grateful Dead and whatnot. Yeah. Like everybody, oh, you yeah. kind of really see a lot more of his influences in rockabilly and folk come out a little yep. bit more through that. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> I just had, a <laughs> oh, you know, those moments where you're thinking about something and you just splash to something and then, totally disassociate to that moment um i had a boy who i was in love with love with a capital l-o-v-e love with and sequentially stopped talking to me because i say your body is a wonderland to him on our date oh dear (laughs) oh my god i would never you know i would always choose to do that but i you know yeah looking back now i go you deserved whatever you got (laughs) but but you know it was one of those i connected on such a level with john john mayer's music and also jason mraz in many ways of those like oh yeah average looking scruffy brunette men that could play guitar and sing to you. And they're the guys that we parody now for being, you know, sitting on a quad with a guitar and some thong sandals talking to girls. Um, But yeah, no, I, I, I love John. I love some John Mayer. I love, but I agree with you that it's interesting to see their sound change and also understand that their listeners sound changes. Cause there's a big difference of where I was when totally. continuum came out. Then, I mean, that was almost 20 years ago that continuum came out. So like, yeah. uh, it, which is weird when you start thinking of music in that way of going, Oh God, we're the 20 year old music now. Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but well, speaking of some, a little older than 20 year old music. I'm going to oh do my, my three and four together, which I think everyone has songs off both of these albums, whether they are these two songs or not. But so my three and four are sometimes by Britney Spears mm-hmm. from the deluxe version of baby one more time. And it's going to mm-hmm. be me from mm-hmm. no strings attached by Sync. Yep. Yep. 
Well, one, there was no other kind of power players in pop like Britney and NSYNC. I mean, you also had Backstreet Boys and you had Christina, and they were the biggest names in the game at the time. Yeah. Because when Mandy Moore was making albums and Leanne Rimes was even like traversing pop country. So before, you know, I like to think that Leanne Rimes walked so that Taylor Swift could run. Oh, Um, totally. I agree with that. And, um, you know, we had Faith Hill and, and those kinds of things at the time. But these were music that was so reminiscent of the Beatles and Elvis from the 50s when youth culture was being created. I would argue that the 90s were the time where another set of youth culture was being created. Definitely. The 80s was this weird pinnacle time for the late 20-somethings who were all addicted to cocaine with business degrees. Um, <laughs> yeah, a lot of punk rock. <laughs> a lot of punk rock. Um, but the 90s was another time where we're seeing a reformation of youth culture between things like even as simple as Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. But then you've got mm. Clueless. You've got, mm-hmm. you know, we wouldn't have Glee if it wasn't, you know, for better or for worse, without things like the pop groups of the late 90s. And you could even um, argue like Rent to an extent. We wouldn't oh, have Glee because yes, of that. Yes. Well, and like we wouldn't have Mean Girls or Heathers or any a Beetlejuice, The Prom, any musical theater that is succeeding today comes specifically from people being inspired by this pop sound that was never existing in musical theater and seeing mm-hmm. that the rock musical has become the pop musical. And it's even beyond that idea of, you know, yeah. this was just before Mamma Mia opened in, yeah. in London. So that, you know, that idea of they were trying to make the pop, the, the pop musicals, the jukebox musicals work. Cause we had just had the 94 run of Tommy. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and, you know, so it's one of those things that, you know, otherwise we're getting parade and sideshow and Titanic, which are these beautiful monoliths of just very serious music, music. And so, yeah, you've also got kids in the 90s were in, being encouraged to take voice lessons and delve into music and actually looking at like it's OK to study music in many ways. But it was to yeah. be a teacher. You were eventually going to be a teacher. Nobody right. was a pop star. No. But let me tell you, I wanted to be the sixth member of NSYNC so bad. I was uh, gonna, I so Britney, I just love Britney. And this was before I had the vocabulary to be like, I am queer. I am homosexual. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but I remember these the popular girls. They let me MC the talent show and operate the box because my shitty Christian music song that I brought was not cutting <laughs> it for the middle school talent show. And those girls did hit me, baby, one more time in athletic clothing. And while the rest of the boys were like, "Oh, I went yes, queen," like, <laughs> I would have been yeah. one of those other boys. <laughs> Well, you know, that's fine, you know, but, you know, me going, you know, obviously not being attracted to those girls for that reason. But you're like, going, no, I do your thing. This. It's amazing. Yes, when you're like, throw yourself to the floor, whip your hair around. Yes, please. <laughs> um, and then going, oh, these boys are beautiful and they can sing. What is this about? Um yeah, I, I, I attest that Britney Spears and NSYNC are why I am a homosexual today. Um, <laughs> But these two particular songs, I I love a sad pop song that I can sing about boys that I fell in love with because that happened weekly around this time. Yes, um, everybody loves a sad pop song. Everybody <laughs> loves a sad pop song. And so while everybody else was like, you know, baby, one more time. Um, I was like, sometimes because it's pretty. And 
Also, this is back when Britney was still focusing on like singing and they cared about her being a singer along with all of the pop things. And you know, it's hard to look back at this now knowing where she is now. And like that this poor woman has no agency in her own life and things and kind of the, the, you know, why your parents shouldn't be your managers. Your parents should not Mm -hmm. operate your money. Like all Mm -hmm. of these things, same with the Knowles and Jessica Simpson's dad. And, but this, sometimes I think it's just really beautiful. I love anytime Britney's allowed to sing, like just she can sing a cute ballad. Um, and then the boys from in sync, the art director of the No Strings Attached album is a fucking genius. The music videos are amazing. The idea yeah. of them as the marionette puppets, like the two, and it's going to be me. It's just like that, like it's as close to hip hop as a lot of white kids got. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's those things. It's It's got you can tell that they were inspired by other forms of music other than the pop music. Um, it's got mm-hmm. a lot of like princisms in there, especially with the choreography. Um, yep. And this album was in sync. Second album. While I love a lot of the music from the first album, this made it, they were unequivocal stars because of this album. Um, yep. And it's, you know, it's just one that sticks out. I think it's fun. Uh, it's, it's one of those songs that if it plays in a group full of, of a certain age group of people, everybody's going to sing it. <laughs> like, it's yep. just, it's the same group that all knows, that knows all the lyrics to all star and not because of Shrek. Um, it really, yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Totally get are, that. You know, some of these are just simpler for me and both of them are just of a time where I was figuring out who I was as a human and kind of trying mm-hmm. to lean into nineties fashion culture and things. Also when there was really no fashion for plus size teens, cause I am a large mm. individual. And so, you know, mm. you had to dress like a dad, but you wanted to dress like Justin Timberlake. Yeah. <laughs> um, you wanted, you what you wanted matching, um, track suits like, like Justin or, uh, like Brittany. So those are, yes. that's my three and four kind of simple stories for both of them. Yeah. Um, what I, I find funny is that, I yeah. sort of no, I what I, what I what I find funny is that I came I sort of I think I started becoming aware of music post all of this because I as I started mm-hmm. to get into or starting to get music a little bit more into my head that wasn't like uh coming from like Sesame Street or Arthur mm-hmm. um it was Aaron Carter and sort of all the things that sort of sprung out of what Britney Spears and NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys all did. Um, so I so I caught the tail end of it and I'm like, oh, this is cool. Why is this cool? You know, you're trying to you're trying to figure out like why you wanted to be this person who was like, seemed like they were the life of the party. And I don't mm-hmm. know why, you know? But but it was like one of those things where it was like Oh, that's that's so interesting. Um, yeah. But it, it, it's also, like you said, it's also a little bit. It's unfortunate how sinister the actual dealings behind all yeah. of this stuff was, because the artistry is so good. Mm-hmm. Everybody is so good, and they're firing on all cylinders, and it's it's some of some of the best work that they have ever done. And but and that's unfortunate because it's twenty yeah. years ago now. Yeah. I like. I've 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 talked with uh, CJ from Below Freezing about this a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, if In Sync were to come back to today as a four-person R and B group and put together an album of like really good R and B records, really good R and B cuts, sort of like what the Backstreet Boys tried to do a couple of years yep. ago, they would kill it as yeah. an R and B act. They would yep. be able to like 
have whole tours. They would tap into the nostalgia base that I think there's a rising tide of late 90s, early 2000s nostalgia coming back. Uh, oh, yeah. These, this, like, next few years. Oh, um, yeah. Man, it would be so cool just to see, like, sync back and maybe even better than ever because their voices yeah. have matured and they can harmonize a lot better now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I don't think they specifically need Justin. If Justin didn't want to participate, no. I think the other guys could sell it on their own. And I think like yes. Chris and Joey deserve it. Like they do. JC and, JC and Lance have had a modicum of their own um, success, you know, for better or for worse. Yeah. Um, since then, and JC's come out, or not JC, but Lance came out. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's one of those things that like, I would love to see them come back and get to do something else because just, you know, by the time you were talking, we were talking like 2009, Justin had already released two solo albums. Yep. So, you know, it was, he he was so distanced from NSYNC at that point. And those guys were just trying to do their thing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And they're, they're, they're really good at it. And they're, and they would get to be like, again, like with regards to Lance coming out, they would be comfortable because they didn't, mm -hmm. they wouldn't have to fit into the machine that they were trying to be pushed out into. Right. Right. Um, now I've got to say, I'm a big fan of the group that is your number five, uh, because I, <laughs> you know, I, I love, I love that, uh, they let a baritone or a baritoner lead the band. Cause it's always <laughs> tenors. It's always tenors. It is always, always tenors. Flipping Brendan Urie and tenor, you know, tenor, tenor, uh, section that happened, you know, it really but, is uh, a lot of high, it's... high voices in, in the late two thousands. Although I, I mean, like, can't. I will pair this and Coldplay together as like the two mm-hmm. groups that had like baritone centric vocals yep. uh, for their hit records. Um, can I actually pair the number five and six together? Because they also yeah. sort of, they also sort of came out at a time that yep. um, I was really starting to figure out my voice um, yeah. as an artist um, because I started to get more interested in performing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very scared of performing, uh, in elementary and middle school. But when I started seeing friends of mine who were, who were theater kids and um, music kids getting up on stage and performing for the whole school, I was like, well, if they can do it and they're like uh-huh. the same as me, maybe I can do it. And like, uh-huh. I started figuring out how to sing, do that kind of stuff. It started taking singing a little bit more seriously. And these two bands were also very formative in helping me figure out how to help helping me figure out what I could do as a performer. Um, and so my number five song is the first track off of the self-titled album by the fray called syndicate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think people know this song as well as, uh, as car. you found me cable yeah. car, um, mm-hmm. over my head. Um, but Syndicate is so cool. <laughs> um, I think it like switches time signatures too, so yep. it very much ties back to the dream theater aspect of it, where it's like, yes. oh, it's a pop song doing sort of like weird, cool time changes with the piano. Um, piano rock was huge back then. It was this and like Viva La Vida by Coldplay that mm-hmm. were like two albums mm-hmm. I would have nonstop playing on. Um, and then my number six, right? Num- number six. Mm-hmm. My number six is a Paramore song. Um, very obviously, <laughs> because yeah. I was I was exposed to Paramore uh, via Twilight uh, and the hubbub mm-hmm. around that. And even though I necessarily didn't see the movie, um, I ended up shooting a parody of the movie uh, for uh, a high school assembly. 
Um, so I started to get into the soundtrack of Twilight a little bit, and so I discovered Decode by Paramore. And mm-hmm. basically I was like, this is, a really, this is really good, really heavy stuff. Uh, the girl can sing well, and she's really cute. So I'm mm-hmm. going to figure out what else they do. Um, and so I was turned on to Riot. And Riot is an amazing album. <laughs> and I had to put on uh, That's What You Get. Uh, by Paramore because that mm-hmm. is the one that everybody comes back to now, and that's mm-hmm. like that's like the one that has the lasting power, which is which is crazy because uh, Misery Business had that momentum via Guitar Hero, but that's yeah. what you get. I feel like is the one that when when everybody on the internet says like, "What's your favorite Paramore song?" It's either one of the new songs from their most recent album, or that's what you get. <laughs> Well, and it's so well, and that's I was even talking to Stormy Geddon, Matt Matt Storm, um, and we were talking about how there are a lot of times that like we're from that time where you would buy a whole movie album because you like the songs on it, not because you had any intention of seeing the movie. Yep. And so that now, while I was a Twilight fan when it came out, it was one of those that I had never heard of Paramore, and I was so hooked to that yes. sound. Yep. Um, and I love that she had that fiery orange hair. Um, yeah, it was like a standout thing where it was mm-hmm, like, whoa, mm-hmm, this is a choice. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. And it's one I go back to Paramore at least once. I go back to the Riot and I go back to the original Panic at the Disco album at least mm-hmm. once a week. Mm-hmm. They're just so great. They are so, I own both of them on vinyl, actually. I think it's the most hipster piece of shit thing I could do. <laughs> um, but I think those are great. I also think they really sum up the time so well. Yes, of, of, definitely. Um, the things now, uh, my next two, I, I, the next two I can also slump together. Um, also kind of sum up a time. One was the beginning of like acoustic adult alternative in like 97. And then one of them is acoustic adult alternative in like 2002. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's uh, the next two for me are I Knew I Loved You by Savage Garden and A Thousand Miles by Vanessa Carlton. Yes. Which, you know, gained super popularity from the movie white girls. Um, yeah, but something, and you know, a lot of not, a lot of people don't know this savage garden broke up suddenly and kind of disappeared. And it is because they were a couple and the couple broke up and they did not want to continue to make music. And most of their music is genderless in pronoun because they were singing about Mm. each other. And so I knew I loved you. I know I loved you. I think it's, it's just a beautiful song. It's peak, sad slow kid late 90s it's really beautiful it Mm. also played probably once an hour on the on the radio station that i grew up with (laughs) for at least four or five years um i went home this summer and it still played on the local radio station (laughs) at least a couple times um and then uh, a thousand miles by vanessa carlton one i think this song lives in infamy because of the pop culture references yeah nobody talks about how much of a brilliant absolute brilliant pianist that she is and how much talent she has. Um, I got the pleasure of seeing her on Broadway and beautiful where she played Carly Simon. Oh, that's great. She's amazing. Um, But also this song, all of the songs on this album made me sad for the boy who introduced me to this album. And so while I no longer think of him, I will forever (laughs) think of this album. Um, I weirdly think a thousand miles when, when I think a thousand miles, I think of, um, the Disney Channel movie that it was in. 
What? It was in like a 2007 Disney Channel movie called You of Wish. Of course it was. With course. Twitty oh, from Even Stevens. Yes. Where he yes. wishes that his brother, who was a kid uh-huh. from the Santa Claus, didn't exist anymore. And so uh-huh. it was like a Wonderful Life type of thing where he has to like figure out a way to unwish uh, his brother uh, back into his life. And I feel like A Thousand Miles plays during one of the sequences in the Probably. movie. Um, but like, that's where I remember it from. <laughs> <laughs> it's when they had money for one pop song that they didn't write for the movie. Yeah, yep, um, yep. You know, because that was the same time that Stuck in the Suburbs came out with Terry yep, Killen. Well yep. before his SNL career. <laughs> and it was weird because it wasn't him singing. <laughs> I know, but he can sing. The man was in Hamilton on Broadway. Right. But that happens a lot. Like, Zac Efron didn't sing in the first High School Musical. Very true. Um, but, you know, I think, um, listen, someone out there needs to do a, just a deep dive podcast on the history of the DCOM and go they through do. every DCOM. It's they not really going to be me. It's not going to be me because uh, I've left I've left that that cult. But someone needs to do it. You've given uh, you've I, essentially now I have a few I have a feeling that CJ is going to listen to this podcast and you might have seeded the idea to him and Micah that they're going to do like a detour of like. They're going to go also, through every single one. <laughs> CJ, CJ, if you're listening, you guys are great. Have me on, have me on uh, your show. I listen to every episode. Oh, S- perfect. That would be hire perfect. Me, hire me. <laughs> hire me. Bring it in. Um, but I, d- I really don't have anything else to say about these two songs other than I still, re- that's the thing is this pod, the, this playlist, they're all songs that I revisit weekly or bi-weekly. Yeah. Constantly. And so right. these two, they're just, um, they also make me sad and thankful for the person that I was, but that is not the person that I am anymore. And that is, <laughs> I think, a lot of classic music. Um, it was in the video earlier. The, you know, we can track our growth as people and as humans, yeah. just as souls, through the music, and our connection to them is going to change. But we can use them to call back to those moments without necessarily having to relive and wallow in those moments exactly. and understand that we have come far from those moments. Yeah. Um, and so that is both of these songs. I will forever listen when I, when I uh, write my gay movie and we make it, uh, I knew I loved you was going to be in it. <laughs> perfect. That is perfect. Uh, so what are your next couple in your list? What's the okay. So these next two are actually tied. Actually, the three of them are tied together because they're songs that I've sung. And they're um, so good. They're so uh, good. All three are great songs. The number seven song is Sway by the artist Michael Bublé, and it's a cover of a Dean Martin song um, yes. called Sway. And <laughs> it was the first like pop song that I sung by myself as a solo artist at my first ever like live performance. That's for so anything. Cute. That's so um, <laughs> cute. And it's a great first number too. And I did it with, uh, I did it with my, I learned it with my voice teacher at the time, uh, Barbara Simon, who I actually still consult with on some of the things. Like I, yes. I passed off my EP to her and she gave me critiques and feedback. And it was really helpful. Um, but this was one of the, like we had, I had built up a, a steady repertoire uh, by the point that I, I started in the summer of 2009 and by the late summer 2009 or actually no by the following year like by the fo- by the end of the following year uh 2010 um she offered the opportunity to perform at like a bar local to where mm-hmm. i was per- where i was uh where i was working um or where i was working with her 
and uh, she was like, it's going to be a Christmas set, and you're going to do two Christmas songs and one non-Christmas song. The two Christmas songs were, um, she said, okay, it's got to be, and, and, what, and what the challenge was is we did two Christmas songs, and, uh, and then the one non-Christmas song, and the two of the songs had to be, like, sung partially in a different language. <laughs> so oh, I sung, okay. um, I sung, Oh, Come All Ye Faithful in the original Latin as well as the English. Um, then I sung the Christmas song and then I sung this song in both the, um, so it's a cover by Dean. It's a Dean Martin cover, but the Dean Martin cover is actually a cover of a Spanish song that is, uh, it's called Quien Será. Um, and I sung between the original English and Spanish on, on that one instead of, but I would, but I followed essentially the course of the Michael Bublé song. And I have a video of it um, that I'm not never going to share with anybody <laughs> because it is so embarrassing and so cringeworthy. Um, but it, I have a full video of the performance, and that is what I think of when I think of this song. <laughs> like Listen, friends we of mine. We have to start somewhere. We have to yes. start somewhere. Yes. I just have, I have a clear memory of friends of mine in the front row filming me uh, perform and then also patrons of the bar just kind of looking over and being like, "Hey, he's all right. <laughs> he's okay. Um, he okay. He all right." Uh, the eighth song is "Fix You," except it's not "Fix You" by Coldplay. It is the "Fix You." It is the cover of "Fix You" by the acapella group Straight No Chaser. Straight no and Chaser. Straight No Chaser was the first acapella group that I uh, ever listened to. Um, it was shown to me by my friend once I started to get get really serious about acapella. Um, I auditioned for the male group at our high school because there was a, a quintet that would perform at assemblies regularly, and I thought that'd be really cool. Um, let me try an audition even though I have not had a single voice lesson in my life. <laughs> so I auditioned. I almost got in, but uh, they were like, you got to have a little bit more of experience. Join the choir. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, okay, I'm going to take it one step further. I'm going to join the choir, and I'm also going to start taking voice lessons. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. take this seriously. Um, so that's what I did. Uh, and then I got into the choir. I started meeting friends in choir. And one of my friends uh, who I actually uh, met, my freshman year, um, I had gotten into choir sophomore year, um, started introducing me to Straight No Chaser and a lot of their Christmas music because he wanted uh, a mm-hmm, group of people mm-hmm. to sing Christmas music with. Um, eventually, what ended up happening was through our connection of Straight No Chaser with between the two of us and a bunch of other and a handful of other of the guys in the group, we formed our own uh, all male identifying quint- uh, quintet. No, no, it was a septet, like seven people originally and then we expanded to about nine and then we eventually became the premier group on the campus so we would do all of this we would do all of the big events at our school um so what ended up happening was we would take a lot of inspiration from straight no chaser and other groups that were popular in that time because the sing-off was so big so Mm -hmm. the beelzebubs on the rocks all those male groups that had a lot of people and had a lot of parts and they were all singing at once, and they were singing great, and we were like, oh, this is great. I want to sing exactly like that. Um, except we were also awkward high schoolers, so we didn't know how to move like they did. <laughs> um, so one of the songs we ended up covering was the Straight No Chaser cover of Fix You. Um, mm-hmm. And we sung it for an assembly uh, with the original all-male quintet that we auditioned for. Um, 
we all got together, did one like unified performance and sung together. Um, and that's sort of what, that's what I think of when I sing that. And then the man who can't be moved is a song that will haunt me for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is a song by the script and I covered it twice, once in my senior year of high school and then once in my freshman year of college. And that cover of my, that cover in my freshman year of college, we ended up recording for an album and it is still probably the thing that people remember me for, uh, in terms of, people in the acapella community because there's a whole acapella community uh, and they get obsessed with all different pro groups, high school groups, college groups. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I was originally known as uh, uh, the guy, the guy who sings the man who can't be moved song. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Yeah. And so uh, it, so uh, funny. yep. Yep. That's so good. I love that. That's great. I mean, uh, also, I hate that Fix You is like the least known song by Coldplay, but arguably one of their best, if not their most beautiful songs that they have ever recorded. I will um, I will tell you, it is the most covered song by any acapella oh, group yeah. ever. <laughs> well, it lends so My acapella group did it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Love, Oh, I love that song. And it just also lends, I think all Coldplay lends beautifully to be sung by acapella or small ensemble groups. Yeah. It breaks down. Now, while I don't love Chris Martin as a human being, um, (laughs) you know, it's actually funny. I love Coldplay music when it's not sung by Coldplay. (laughs) That's hilarious. Um, I love their music, but just as long as it's not them. Um, (laughs) But that's, that's so... Um, I wasn't going to originally do my next two together, but oddly, I think they're the dark and light side of each other because they came out the same year. This roughly. does make sense. This does track. Um, <laughs> so number seven is Come Clean by Hilary Duff from the Metamorphosis album. And I will die by this album. It, yeah. It is, it is so great. And the thing is, Hilary Duff is not a great singer. She has never been a great singer. She will never be a particularly great singer, but she sings her little face off and I can't, right. you know, she's pretty, they, you know, she was the, that was when you had to be the package deal with Disney, unless you were kind of toned up like Brenda song, yep. um, which was fine. Cause she was yep. so funny. I didn't care if Brenda song couldn't sing, um, <laughs> but come clean. It's just a great album. The whole metamorphosis album uh, is really interesting because I like to think the lyrics and the, the, the subjects of the song were much deeper than, I would expect out of like a Disney pop album. Um, yes. It's roughly, you know, within two years, uh, Lindsay Lohan's confessions raw would come out and mm-hmm. which is to me, the most moving album that's ever been released by a Disney channel. Kid. Yeah. Um, just for no other reason than the song father to daughter. It's, it's chilling. It's beautiful. Um, and so I just really loved it, but I also, it was like such an anthem for like, 18 year olds is we're like launching into the world and we're like, Oh shit. Cause it came out right when I was graduating high school. It came out right. Let when the rain fall down. Out, Let the rain fall down. And like, sometimes I'll literally like, it'll be raining in my car and I'll sit in my car and cry and put the song on because I'm garbage. But like, it's, you know, it's still, it still checks out. Um, but then the other song, which I listened to many in the same way was bring me to life by Evanescence from their yeah. album fallen their first album. Of course. And I, I've never gotten to see Evanescence live until three years ago, two years ago. My friend Allison took me for my birthday when we were in Jacksonville. And oh my God, (laughs) 17 year old me, when 
with a full backing orchestra and Lindsay Sterling. Oh, Amy wow. Lee comes out and does all of like Wow. Uh, it's so it's one. I think it's a gorgeously crafted song that dances along the hard rock metal and and like symphonic goth rock sound like yeah. I don't really know how to describe it but it also was like you know her lyrics were just open enough at the same time too that you could be like oh yeah they started off as a Christian band mom and it was the <laughs> biggest lie but my mom believed it especially because like Tourniquet sings about God and all these things and um, yeah. I just bring me to life it's so good Amy Lee has one of the most crystal clear beautiful voices that we have ever had in rock music she's absolutely yeah. amazing um, I love that they are still doing their thing, even though they're not as popular as they were. They are still pushing along. They've come back. Um, their last album was really beautiful. Uh, and so that's for me, those two. But I, it's it's also because I flashed to, I had three really great friends, Heather Dawn and Courtney. Uh, I'm still friends with them. And we would roll around and sing this album and the first Nickelback album. Like it was, we were, <laughs> we were, we were, we were hard rock weeaboos. Like we, <laughs> we watched anime and we listened to hard rock music and we were all Slytherins. It's fine because there was no <laughs> oh, Raven Club merchandise yet. Oh yeah, it was it was Hot Topic pre Loungefly and Funko and it was when it was still the Scary Goth Kid store. So it, you know, it um. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that is that is and I feel these two are the these two songs are the same coin. They're just different. They're the different heads of the same coin. Sure. Um and I love them. I think they're great. I think they both still hold up and I think they're lovely. And again, I just have emotional connection to the time of of that I haven't lost some of the aspects of younger self, but like I can think through them better than my younger self. Oh, did. definitely. Definitely. Great. What are your? So you got two left. What are, I do have two do left. Wanna, I'll great. go. Do you do I'll, them together or separate? I'll do them one at a time because they're they're great. two different. They come at two different points in my life. <laughs> great. I love that. Um, so song number nine is uh, a song that I don't think. Uh, again, I picked a lot of songs that like don't get a lot of recognition. Recognition mm -hmm. in terms of like, this is the one that most people remember. I think I feel like it's the deep cuts that uh that um that people would appreciate a little bit more. Um and uh this one is a song by the band Mumford and Sons uh from their yeah. first album Sigh No More where they were really going full Shakespeare on a lot yep. of their lyrics. Um it's the song White Blank Page. Um and I just remember hearing about this uh at a um I, I remember hearing about them twice i remember hearing them i remember hearing about them from my friend who was really into a lot of rock music and showed me them um and 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 played them on the radio uh once while we were driving to school one day and then uh during the summer a bunch of kids were listening to this working when i was working at uh my lifeguard job at the pool <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, a lot of people would listen to that music and I would be like, oh, this is interesting. Let me check it out. Um, and that's really why I remember it. I don't know why else. I, like, other than it's excellent, like, harmonies, all that kind of stuff really appeals to the acapella kid in me. Um, 
that's really primarily where I remember it from, where it was like, mm-hmm. I'm sitting there and they're like, oh, have you heard, have you heard about Mumford and Sons? And they're like, oh, you got to listen to Mumford and Sons. <laughs> um, which is really funny. It was a really weird and specific point uh, where it was like, okay, I'm going to dive into this band. And it makes me think of those people, which is, which is kind of nice. <laughs> nice. You often well, don't really like... want to think about the people that you had your first job, you spent your first job with. That's very true. That is very, very true. But for some reason, this does. <laughs> That's lovely, though. But I'm glad you've got that. Well, and I think for a lot of people, Little Lion Man was one of their, like, it's that, that original song that they remember by, by Mumford and Sons. Yep. I remember, I think I saw them that first year they were out when they were up for the Grammy and I saw them on the Grammys and I went, who are these boys? They're kind yeah. of, they're, they're very average looking dudes, but they have amazing musicality and they have great voices. And I love this. Definitely. It's so good. I love that. Um, well, my next two, yeah, we'll do the two together. Um, so they have nothing to do with each other, but they're from a <laughs> time where I was kind of nosing around and discovering music on my own. Um, again, uh, the the popular band kids that I wanted to be friends with were listening to Blink-182. Oh, uh, of course you know, they were. <laughs> very, ex- very explicit band, very explicit band. Yeah. And I got, I got this crappy Christian country album for Christmas from an extended family member. And my mom was like, well, if you don't want it, you can go exchange it. And so she let me go into Target on my own. And I was 17, so I could buy a, I could buy an exploitive album. Ooh. And... <laughs> I exchanged it for the uh, for take off your pants and jacket. Do you remember which, how like that how big of a deal that was to have to have oh, one of those albums with the with the sticker on it? <laughs> yep. Oh, and then I like hid it from my mom. Yeah. I was like, oh no, I don't want her to see it. Um, you had to censor yourself and, singing. <laughs> yep, yep. And so just, but also I remember smugly sitting in the back of the car. We were on a family road trip, and I was listening to this like sexual dirty rock music from these three boys yeah or three men and like knowing that my mother had no idea what i was listening to and just going mm-hmm. <laughs> the, rock the rock show by by blink 182 for me is just it's still one of my standouts to this day i just enjoy it so much there's a fun romanticism to it that doesn't exist in a lot of these like pop punk mm-hmm. um groups or the you know the they were before the the pop punk you know, era, but yeah, there's, there's something very romantic and fun and sweet about this song. The me it's the music for me. I think more than the lyrics, anything, it's just got that driving beat. You just want to like, you want to get in the pit. You want to dance. Right. You want to jump around and mosh with your friends. You want to, you know, yep. shotgun, shitty beer. <laughs> um, and then at the same time, um, that you, there is not one nineties kid that can't tell me that the Goo Goo Dolls does not exist in at some point of their soundtrack of their life. The slow um, dance record of a lifetime. Uh, <laughs> slow dance. It's like one of those, it's like, how do you make upbeat ballads and that's your entire album? It's yeah. one of those, it's like, how do you, but, and you know, for a lot of people, it's either Black Balloon or Iris. And so I had to go with Iris. Yeah. I think it's. It's beautiful. The lyrics are gorgeous. The musicality of the Goo Goo Dolls is amazing. I love mm-hmm. what they do with their instrumentation um, and how they break up their parts. I also think the lead singer has an amazing voice. Um, stupid tenor, but amazing <laughs> voice. Um, 
and it's it's so great and i you, you know it's another testament to the nostalgia but also the staying power of good music because these songs like i still hear iris and black balloon when i go shopping in like a tra- like a chain store those songs still play all the time i hear them all the time they really do um, and it does now doing this it did make me revisit some of the other goo goo doll stuff and i was like i don't love it as much but then i saw them a couple years ago with dave matthews and i went ah this is solid you yeah. know, sitting around with a bunch of 50-year-old stoners. I went, ah, this is good. <laughs> this is, this yeah. is good. This is uh, what yes, it is. Good. Well, it's because they also opened with, by Fits and the Tantrums, which is who I wanted to go see. Ooh. And so, um, so it was, I mean, it was a good, it was a good evening. It rained. We were just so high. It didn't matter. But you know, <laughs> it was so good. Um, yeah. And so those, again, they're, they're different sides of similar coins in my development um and just songs that like make me feel a little happy but also i love having a song that makes me feel a little sad after a song that makes me feel a little happy yeah and so that's why i picked those two yeah that makes sense yeah <laughs> total sense and this your last song is a bop it uh, is an absolute bop I feel like I was ahead of my time when i discovered it it was during the time of spotify when it first came out uh-huh. And uh, I was just starting to discover Spotify, and uh, it was a right right as I was about to head into college, and um, uh, I think there was it was this, it was the uh, it was one of those commercials for one of the one of the uh, cars for something on the Super Bowl, and it played um, "We Are Young" by this uh-huh. very same band, and. I was like, oh, this is really different, really interesting. Let me check this band out. And I checked this band out, and they were amazing. And they had just come out with an album. And Mm -hmm. I started playing the first couple of tracks on the album. And this was track two. And it was the title track from the debut. No, the second album from the band Fun, with a period, Some Nights. And I listened to this song, and I was like, this is is going to be a smash hit. And nobody knew it at the time. I listened to this song and I was like, it's going to be a hit, it's going to be a hit, it's going to be a hit. And I don't remember anybody really being like, taking to a cover of it, doing a cover of it. And I was like, uh-huh. man, how is nobody, nobody doing any sort of cover of this song? And then I got to the college that I decided to go to, Ithaca College. And I saw the college band, the college acapella band that I would eventually join, Ithaca Capella, at their final concert of the year because they timed their final concert of the year with the Accepted Students Day the next day because then they got uh, up yes. and they performed for the Accepted Students. So I, so my family and I went to this show, and it was at the State Theater, which was the downtown local theater that uh-huh. bands would perform at. And I was like, wow, uh-huh. this is pretty legit for a college group. Uh-huh. And so you see them get out on stage, and they're doing their thing, and they're singing, and they're singing, and they're, they have individual microphones, and there's a whole light show going on. I'm like, wow, this is really legit for a, for a college a cappella group. And then at the very end of the show, um, they go on and they sing this song. And I was like, oh, they have the same taste as me. I will like being in this group. I, I need to get into this group. I, 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 I became instantly obsessed because they were just, they, it was like, okay, their song choice is just is A1. 
It is A1. And and eventually, like, I was right, and it became a smash hit. And I was like, yes, I was ahead of the curve before anybody else. <laughs> and it was one of the first times that I felt like I was. I was like, this is it. I've had, like, only, that. like, three instances in where that was a thing. The first time was this song. The second time was when my Spotify Discover playlist pushed Sam Smith way before he got famous. Yeah. Uh, and I yeah. was like, oh my goodness, this man, uh, or, sorry, this, th- this individual can sing their face off. Um, and uh, the third time was, uh, I had heard an indie band before called Walk the Moon. I'd heard them before, uh-huh, but then they came out with the uh-huh. song Shut Up and Dance, and I was like, this is going to be everywhere. <laughs> song of the summer. Yes. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> and so when that's did you a, go to Ithaca? I, I went to Ithaca from 2012 to 2016. <sighs> we, okay, fun story, Dan Brassell. You and I would have met. I almost went to Ithaca when I went back for undergrad because I was oh. living in Auburn. Wow. I was in Ithaca all the, we literally, I was in Ithaca all the time. I went to the Hangar Theater a lot. So Wow. That's okay. That's so funny. That's very that's cool. so funny. Yeah. I sung, I, <laughs> I sung in the acapella group there. all four years. Yep. That's amazing. I love that. Um, well, I think this is an interesting transition to my last two. Um, they have nothing to do with each other, but they both live in the deep recesses of the trashiest parts of my pop music brain. Hey, Everybody nothing, knows Barbie nothing girl. is trash here in this world. <laughs> it's true. It's true. If it gets you through and you love it, who cares? Exactly. Um, so everybody knows Barbie Girl by Aqua. And most yes. people only know Barbie Girl by Aqua. Very but true. Um, I remember back in the mid to well, mid nineties, this had to be 97. And when they still mm-hmm. did TV commercials for record albums, like for upcoming albums, because they had, you know, two or three music videos shot, blah, blah, right. blah. Right. And they would lead. And so, um, they, uh, Aqua leaned on their second album was called cartoon, uh, Oh yes, it was called Cartoon Heroes, and mm-hmm. so this is the this is the, the the single from it, and it is so good. It is <laughs> like you can't not dance with it. It's also yeah. so good that I worked at a musical theater camp for a couple summers, and we were doing like um, a superhero theme, and I looked at Amy, who was our leader, and went, "Amy, we're doing Cartoon Heroes by Aqua." She's <laughs> like, "I thought." She's like, "I thought I made that song up in my brain." I was like, "Nope, it exists, and we're doing it." It's the real. And they were like, wow. They were like, is this from a new group? And I was like, no, they're very old. <laughs> um, but I love that Aqua is still touring and they're releasing a new album soon because I think we need Aqua in the world now more than ever. Are like, they? Yes, they are. They toured again this past year right before COVID. Wow. Wow. <laughs> but, you know, there are those things where like, they're great, like Swedish trash, like club trash. Like they're so good, um, and yep. they're so fun, and they serve such a very specific, I think, need and niche and point in music and why we keep going back to it. Um, yeah, because you just want to dance along to it. You love it. It's repeatable. It's got an easy five, five, six, seven, eight lead in. Like you know, it's just it's so strange. Um, but you know what? I think also I'm gonna say something polarizing that might lose you know, a handful of the handful of fans that I have <laughs> nickel nickelback. Isn't that bad. And I think most people hate nickelback because the internet has told them to hate nickelback. 
So I, I, I am one to agree. Um, yeah. I think where they went wrong is that they, they stuck with a sound and they yes. just didn't change. <laughs> and I, yeah. It, and yeah. I think it also didn't help that their fan base kind of malted from like alternative older teenagers to like super militant right wingers. And so, you know, mm-hmm. it, yeah, but I'm not talking about a, uh, a Nickelback song for my last one. I'm talking about Chad Kroger, who is the lead singer of Nickelback after a while started releasing his own pop music. Yes. Um, the one with Santana. Like, I remember very clearly. Yes. Oh yes. <laughs> well, and so this was also the time that they became Nickelback featuring Chad Kroger, um, which <laughs> I thought was interesting, but there is this movie. I don't know if anybody's seen it uh, by Sam Raimi. Uh, it's very, very not well known, uh, but it's the first Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire. Yes, very um, independent. Yeah, very independent. Not many people know it. It's fine. It's whatever. Um, <laughs> Chad Kroger featuring a young talent named Josie Scott sang a song called Hero. And it was like the, the song for the um, uh, trailer. Oh, I see. Spider-Man. Yeah. And it's like, burr, 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 which is the sound. If there is a sound that I hear from looking at an M- a steal from a Sam Raimi film, it's this sound. <laughs> it's just like, uh, like it just Sam's Sam Raimi sounds like Nickelback and Chad Kroger. And it's not a bad thing. It's just what Sam Raimi's project sounded like, especially yes. Spider-Man. And so this song, it was my freshman year in college. The album was so good. It is, it is also just a great superhero album, top to bottom that you don't have to appreciate the movie in order to listen to. Um, you know, what's weird. So, you know, what's really weird. <laughs> if I may tangent for just a second, go ahead. Tangent train is on this album, right? Yes. Train is on that album, but they're not the train that everybody knows yes. on this album. They're not. Hey, soul sister. They're not drops of Jupiter. They are really heavy. Like calling all you angels, uh, yes. train. And then you're like, yep. the, 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 dis- the, like, the dissonance between the two different eras of train is so strange because now they're trying to do like modern yacht rock, <laughs> uh, well, which yeah, is so please, weird. Who, who does a fucking cover of heart and soul? Like, go fuck yourselves. Train. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Precisely. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, Cause I love like drops of Jupiter solid 90s number uh yes. hey soul sister solid mid aughts number yep. like yep. it's there but like what with that bullshit they're doing now it's the same thing that maroon 5 is not making good music right now and i'm gonna call them out on it like both of them <laughs> i was like but their fans love it and they're all like 40 to 60 year old white women and that is who they make music for now and i think they know that that is and so they just <laughs> kind of not not to call it anybody. I know some of our listeners are in that demographic and are Although, those women, so but it's if there are people out there who do still listen to the radio, like like satellite radio and mm-hmm. such, like I do, mm-hmm. Pat Monahan, the lead singer of Train, has his own show every weekend called Train Tracks. And it is a new music discovery show. And I have actually discovered quite a handful of gems 
from that show. That's awesome. So that's very cool. He is doing the good work of being like here's a, here's a collection of good artists that um, I have been sent music for, <laughs> and I like them. So you might like them too. Um, so it is very it's very nice to see uh, Pat Monahan uh, giving back to the communities that he that he's a part of. It's really that. cool. I love that. Well, Dan, this has been a delight today. I have one last question it for has. you as we start to wrap up. Of um, course. And I'm going to have to have you. I really actually, uh, I'm, I need to have you on Isolation Cast so we can literally go in for two hours and just talk about the pure nostalgia and like power of music and why it's so important that, you know, we've had a terrible year, but music has still been released. People are still making music and like it yeah. keeps the human spirit going. Um, yeah. So, so question before before you tell the people where you can find where they can find you, mm-hmm. what for you is the importance and the power of nostalgic music? Nostalgic music can inform you of who you are and where you're going. Um, and in some cases, I feel like that overlaps because I, I feel yeah. like at the end of at the end of the day, we're always going to have a part of ourselves. That is our child self, like who, who we who we yeah. were as kids. Uh, we carry that with us all the time, and we reflect on it all the time, and how it and how it inform how it informs the decisions the decisions we make uh, down the road. Um, how it affects us psychologically from a from from negative and positive uh, perspectives. And I feel like the music that we experience at those at those degrees of ages, and even the music like we experience now. Like, I feel like people are going to remember the music that they listened to when they were in quarantine. Uh, that, mm-hmm. that, I, just, I just feel like that that's going to be a thing. Um, especially because a lot of dance music came out uh, yeah. in quarantine. It was almost like a dance-in-your-room type mm-hmm. uh, like era of music that all just came out at the same time. Um, but I feel like it's in, it's in those experiences that we can find memory and meaning and, and, and give us give ourselves a little bit more more purpose. And, and it's something that I try to it's something that I hope that with my own music, I can try and provide for people, uh, whether it is them discovering it now as I'm putting it out or if they find it two, three years down the line, maybe five, six years down the line, they, they, they had just happened across, um, my, my music or the algorithm pushes me somehow. Um, and they discover me. And that's something that I've been trying to keep in mind of like, what's the music that, what, what is the music that I would want to make that I would want to remember when I'm listening to it as a kid, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. That's beautiful. I love Dan. I love that. That's so nice. So talking about <laughs> your you. music, where can people find you and your music online? You can find me almost everywhere on all streaming platforms. So you can find me on Spotify. You can find me on Apple music. You can find me on title Pandora, all those good places. iHeartRadio, wherever, wherever you can listen to music, you can find me. Um, I also guest on, I also guest from time to time on CJ and Micah's podcast below freezing, um, which you can find on all podcast platforms. Um, but if you do want to talk to me about music, if you want to talk to me about movies, if you want to talk to me about the most recent season of Cobra Kai or how I've become obsessed with my hero academia, um, you can follow me 
at uh, the Dan Purcell. That's the Dan P U R C E L L on Instagram and Twitter. Strike up a conversation with me. I am game to talk about cool stuff, stuff like this that what we've been talking about. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that. That's pretty much it. <laughs> Thank you again that. for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. It's, it's a great walk down memory lane, if you will. Stay tuned after the post-show wrap-up to hear a little bit of Dan's song, Serendipity, and where you can go download it online now. Video games are a unique medium. They can tell stories. Immerse us in strange, fantastic worlds. Blur the very boundaries of our reality. But at the end of the day, video games are fun. Whatever fun is to you. I'm Jeff Moonen. And I am Matt A.K.A. Stormageddon. And on Fun and Games, we talk about the history, trends, and community of video games. It's a celebration of all the games we play and all the fun we find within them. And there's so many more games out there. So we hope you'll share in that conversation with us. Fun and Games podcast with Matt and Jeff. Find us on certainpov.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And happy gaming. Thank you again for tuning in for another deep dive into the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. As always, you can find us on all social media. Please like, follow, subscribe, rate, and review. It is all super important and helps us climb higher and higher in the rankings. And you all are keeping us in the top 100 film history podcasts on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify. So we cannot thank you enough. And we're so excited to announce that starting in two weeks, we are having one of the most epic crossovers ever. Saturday Morning Confidential, Fun and Games with Matt and Jeff, Let's Rewatch, and Another Pass. We'll be doing a two-week deep dive in celebration of the 25th anniversary of the Pokemon franchise. Come talk games. The first season of the show, Pokemon the first movie, Detective Pikachu, and a lot of surprises and celebrities along the way. We can't make any promises yet, but I think you're really going to enjoy it. So make sure you follow all of the shows from Certain POV, and you can find them all at certainpov.com. Now you know the drill, $2 on our Patreon monthly helps us know that you like what we're doing, but you can always subscribe a little more. All of that information is on all of our social media available in our link tree. Now, this is where I would normally tell you to join us next time for another deep dive in the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. And that is true. But I want you to hold on and listen to a snippet of Serendipity by today's guest, Dan Purcell, because you all are going to love it and you need to go follow him on all social media and give him that coin and buy that album and listen to his new EP that is out now. I've been afraid to share my heart my mental health so I can be open from the start cause each action's a chain reaction pushing me towards the truth each step is the right direction leading the way to you and serendipity is gonna be the key to your door the key to your door I'm gonna work on me cause
CPOV. CertainPOV.com.